0: Well, friends, uh, the text that we're turning to this morning is in Matthew chapter 4. We're taking a little bit of a detour from our progress through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. And I would ask you to please stand as you're able for the reading of the word. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. Now, when he, that is the Lord Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. the testimony of the Scriptures is clear. The Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, has power over life and death. And for we who are living in an age where life is short and life is fragile, Jesus Christ, the Lord of life and death, is a refuge for us. In fact, he is our only refuge, and he is a ready refuge for all who will come to him. As I mentioned earlier, and as many of you all are well aware, um, my mother passed away just a couple days ago. Uh, She she had multiple sclerosis, was diagnosed 15 years ago, and it was within the last five years that she moved in with us and uh, was a part of our immediate family. Uh, right before christmas the middle of december uh she uh, went to the hospital uh because of a fall and there she was diagnosed with uh brain cancer uh, of a particularly aggressive sort uh she had some sur- some sort of uh emergency surgery then and uh she uh just a few weeks later uh came down with pneumonia and was taken back to the hospital, and uh, there she spent the last week of her life uh, in and out of consciousness uh, as as the infection in her lungs um, in the end proved too much for her physically. Uh, it was early third Friday morning that she passed away and uh she was with a, a nurse in the palliative care unit at Ronan Memorial Hospital when she when she breathed her last. Uh, I want to I want to thank you all as a congregation for your support and your care for us my family during this time. Uh the last week particularly but really the last few months and even beyond that the last few years. Uh you have been a constant support for us as we have my wife and I and our kids have uh, cared for my mom. And many of you all have uh, have personally been friends to my mother during that time. And for that, I am very grateful. I'm grateful for your support of us. Many of you have made us meals or sent us meals. I'm thankful for your kindness towards us. Most of all, maybe your patient understanding with me as my attention has been divided and Sundays, there a couple Sundays in the last few months, like last Sunday, I was suddenly not here. Uh, thank you for being understanding. Uh, I've spent a lot of time at the Roanoke Memorial Hospital over the last couple months, more than I think I had ever spent before, and particularly the last week, and I spent a lot of time on, this, on the 10th floor in the palliative care unit. Um, that some of some of you know well. Rosemary works there. Um there's something that was kind of eye-opening for me there. I, I I knew this was happening, but it's different when you see it. Uh people are dying there. Every day, all the time. There are people that are brought into that hospital, there are people that are brought onto that floor, the palliative care unit there is particularly comfort care for those who have incurable diseases and are approaching the end of life, Uh, there there are people dying there and there is nothing that we can do to stop it. Uh, They have got all the resources available to them there, the staff that works there, Uh, the machinery, the medicine, the know-how, the knowledge, and yet people are still dying. As as advanced as medicine and science and technology is, uh, we cannot stop people from dying, from drawing their last breath, their heart beating its last beat, and leaving this world. Uh, that's part of the reality of the world that we are living in, that death uh, is a part of it, uh, culturally as a society, uh, all over the place, but particularly maybe here in the West, we we work hard to ignore it, or we, we belittle it and make fun of it to make it seem like entertainment, or, or we dismiss it, we deny it. The Bible does not ignore it or belittle it or deny it. Uh, the Bible speaks plainly of death as a sobering reality uh but but the bible also speaks of the great hope that accompanies death it speaks of the great darkness that is death in the the age we're living in but it also speaks of the light that's been on my mind a lot in the last week particularly um and this verse has come to mind Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, particularly the second part. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Matthew writes these words in his account of the beginning of the Lord Jesus' ministry. He's beginning his ministry in earnest at this point in the Gospels. And he, hearing that John the Baptist has been arrested, he withdraws to the rural areas of Judea, Galilee, of the Gentiles, you know, the sticks. And Matthew tells us that in doing so, he is fulfilling the words, the prophetic words of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. That's what's quoted here in Matthew chapter 4. In Isaiah chapter 8, there is judgment pronounced on Israel, and on Isaiah chapter 9, there is the promise of deliverance Deliverance will come through this child who's going to be born. His name's going to be Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know the chapter. And in that chapter, the beginning of that chapter, Isaiah tells us, the Holy Spirit tells us that this deliverer is going to show up in the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles out in the darkness, the darkest places of Israel, the most unexpected places. He's going to show up, and he's going to be seen like a light there. That's a theme in the Gospels. that Jesus, The Lord Jesus appears in unlikely places. He appears to unlikely people. He's received by unlikely people. The light shows up first where it's particularly dark. And, and that theme in the Gospels is pointing, not only do we see that woven throughout the Gospels as a motif, it also points to something larger, and redemption itself. It's not just Galilee that is a dark place. It's not just the rural areas of Judea that are called the region of the shadow of death. Every people, every generation to this very day, all of us are dwelling in a very real sense in the region and the shadow of death. And the good news is that on all of us, Regardless of our lineage, regardless of our geographic location, regardless of our circumstances, the light of Christ has dawned in the gospel on us. To appreciate that, I want us to look carefully at this verse and look carefully at these two parts. The first, our dwelling in the shadow of death. And then, second, the light that has dawned on us in Jesus Christ. First, the text tells us, for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death. And as I said a moment ago, this is not just true of those in Judea, it's true of us. Life in this age, life in this world as we know it, it is lived in a sense in the shadow of death. What I was describing that I experienced this last week in the hospital, in the palliative care unit there, that is not unique to Roanoke Memorial Hospital this week. That is the case in every hospital. And it's the case in a lot of places that are not hospitals. It's the case in a lot of homes. It's not unique to that floor, and it's not unique to just the circumstances of the last week. There were not people coming to the end of their life this last week there because of the coronavirus or something like that. There were all kinds of reasons not unique to these circumstances. And it's it's not unique historically either that people are passing from life. No more and no less than ever before. I, I think we we like to imagine sometimes that human life is extending further and further and further and further, and one day maybe we'll reach the point of infinity, but let me, let me remind you that Moses in Psalm 90 said, in verse 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. That was 3,000 years ago. Now, yeah, life expectancy has wiggled a little bit here and there, but it hasn't really changed much in three thousand years, has it? As we live our lives here, we do live in a sense, in a real sense, with sort of death in the background, looming. Uh, the floors right above the ones that I was, the one that I was in um, this last week, are the uh, the mother baby floors in the hospital and uh death isn't a stranger even there now, some of us know that we don't like to talk about it we don't like to think about it it's painful that's understanding understandable we ignore it if we can but i think many of you would agree that it does get harder as the years go by to ignore it losses accumulate and, and not just grandparents and great-grandparents, not just old people, but parents and friends and spouses and even children. And not just age after long illness, but unexpected illness, injury, a diagnoses that are surprising and take a loved one's life rapidly. It's not always gradual. Sometimes it is sudden. Uh, even my, my mother, I, we knew that her multiple sclerosis diagnosis was going to shorten her life. But boy, it was a surprise when the brain cancer diagnosis told us it would be a few months. And then when, even before a month had passed, pneumonia made it look like just a few days. It was sudden. It is often that way. You all are well aware. The whole world is aware. Two days before my mother went into the hospital with pneumonia, a man named Kobe Bryant got in a helicopter with his daughter. And he, I guarantee you, he expected to get back out of that helicopter alive and well. We can ignore death. We can put it off in our minds, but it can't be ignored forever. The Bible does not ignore it and doesn't shrink from it. The scriptures speak plainly about human life uh, for what it is in no uncertain terms. In and, and that well known and beloved psalm, Psalm 103, we even have a sobering statement about death in verses 15 and 16. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. That's what a human life is like. You want a good metaphor for human life, you think of the grass in the field, you think of a a wisp of smoke, fog, vapor. Here for a second, and then you look back, and it's gone. The Scriptures speak in such a way that makes it clear generations do come and go, and we know this. Every hundred years, all new people, pretty much, right? The Scriptures also speak plainly of the cause of death. The cause of death is sin. In Romans chapter 5, the Holy Spirit says to the Apostle Paul, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death, Through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Death was not part of God's plan originally, not part of the good world that he had made. It was not a surprise to him, of course, but it was not part of his design. It entered this world through Adam's rebellion and his sin against God when our first parents in rebellion turned their back on the God who made them, the God who not only made them, but continued to be for them, though they did not realize it, the fountain of all life and light and goodness and health and strength. When they rebelled against him and turned their backs on him, the consequence of that was death. That's what happens when you forsake life. Now in God's mercy... As we read in those opening chapters of Genesis, Adam did not drop dead that instant. He was given time. In part, friends, he was given time to repent. But Adam does die eventually, inevitably. The gift of life that was given by God to him, that was taken for granted and abused by him, eventually is taken back. The breath in his nostrils returns to the Maker. And not just him. As Romans chapter 5 says, death spread to all men because all sinned. All of Adam's children after him born in sin, taking up sin ourselves. So in the process, take up death ourselves because death is not just a consequence of sin. It is the wages of sin. That's what Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says. The wages of sin is death. Death is not only a natural consequence of having forsaken our God, but it is demanded by justice. Now, what that tells us, it's worth thinking about. That when it comes to the issue of death, physical death is not the root of the problem. It is spiritual death that's the root. Physical death is, in one sense, merely the result of spiritual death, which is itself caused by sin. What I mean by that is, like right now at the hospital, they can do very intelligent people with very powerful tools at their disposal, can do all the tests they want to do, and they can discover why this or that organ is failing or why this or that person is failing to thrive. But they cannot ultimately get to the root of why that person is progressing towards death. Because the root cause cannot be observed by our instruments. The root cause is spiritual. It's sin that leads to death. It is people estranged from their God that suffer under the burden of life in this fallen age. Ephesians chapter 2 Puts it this way, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see what Paul is saying there. Even though you are alive, you were dead because you walked under the burden of the wrath of God and condemnation you who are enemies of God and you walk in life receiving it as a gift from him yet the condemnation hangs over you what paul is describing here is very, very much the way that you know a, a, a death row inmate might be described as a dead man walking there he is he is alive he moves he talks but his condemnation hangs over him and it will be realized. Eventually, the spiritual reality manifests itself in the physical. And because it is spiritual, because it is justice, sin and judgment at the root of it, the consequences are not limited to this age. They are eternal consequences. In one sense, what, Matthew is saying here is very simple. It's very profound, I think. And it is true, and we can see it. We can feel it in the air. We live in the shadow of death. Physical death is ever-present. It is looming over us. It is waiting for us. And spiritual death is everywhere under the surface, affecting all of us, everything. This is life in the shadow of death. If you look out there and look honestly, it's pretty dark. Now, you might be thinking, "Gosh, that's pretty dark." I know you've had a rough week, Charlie, but what's your point here? <laughs> is your purpose to discourage us? No, my purpose is not to discourage you. Uh, one purpose that I have in talking to you about these things so candidly, even though it is uncomfortable for me, it is probably comfortable for you also. One of the purposes that I have in talking about these things is hopefully to awaken you a little bit. It is uncomfortable to talk like this, to think like this. It is easier to ignore these things, but the Scriptures are clear it's not wise to ignore them. If you look again at Psalm 90, penned by Moses, but the words of the Holy Spirit, we find these words in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to think about the fact that our days have got a number on them because that'll make us wise. It's wise to consider the reality of death. It's wise to remember it, to act like life just goes on and on exactly like it is forever and this life is all that there is to reality is to live like fools. I mean, that's the Lord Jesus' whole point in Luke chapter 12 when he tells that parable of the man with the bigger barns. The guy saved up plenty of money and he sits back and he says, soul, you've got it made. And the Lord comes to him that night and says, you fool. You've, this very night, your life will be taken from you. You're not prepared for tomorrow like you thought you were. That's the point. That man should have numbered his days and considered what came beyond it. The devil be pleased for us to ignore these things. You know the the old, very grim fairy tale about Hansel and Gretel, another little boy and girl who were fattened up for the witch. The witch was happy to have those children ignore the oven and pay attention to the feast. Oh, and the devil would be happy for us to ignore the oven and just pay attention to the feast laid before us and the pleasures of the world. Now, in God's good providence in my own life, I had my attention sort of drawn to the oven a little bit recently. But it's not that death suddenly appeared in my life; it was always there. I have been living in its shadow, and and friends, you are too. It's good to remember that. It's hard to remember that, but it's good. A few months ago in Sunday school, Aaron Griffin was teaching on evangelism. He pulled out a rope that he had from home. I don't remember how rope how long the rope was, Aaron, but it would have stretched from here to the back of the auditorium and probably back again, and Aaron pulled this rope out, and he said, uh, in the scope, paraphrasing, in the scope of your whole life in eternity, the first couple centimeters of this rope is your life on earth. And all the rest of it is what's to come afterwards. Friends, is all of our attention on that first couple centimeters? To behave that way is to behave foolishly. And that's why counting our days gives us wisdom. But ultimately, though, I I speak with you so candidly about something that is so bleak and dark because I want to encourage you. Talking about the darkness does help us to make sense of the light. Like that black fabric at the jeweler that lies underneath the diamond so that you can see the facets better. you see how beautiful the gems are. So the sober truth about death does serve the purpose of revealing to us the glory of Christ. Because we do appreciate the light all the more in the darkness, don't we? That's the second part of the verse here. Those dwelling in the region of shadow and death, on them a light has dawned. On them a light has dawned. Matthew, in the context, it is crystal clear. The prophecy is in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the light. And he is the light because he is the life. The metaphor, darkness is to death as light is to life. We living in the shadow of death, a light has appeared. A life has appeared. John chapter 1, that life is the light of men. John chapter 11, the Lord Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The simple truth of Christian doctrine is that roughly 2,000 years ago, right in the middle of the shadow of death, a light suddenly appeared. Right in the middle of the darkness, right in the middle of a world where death is inevitable and looms over everything, right in the middle of that, somebody showed up. Who is himself life and over him death has no power. A child was born. In a world of death, a man was born who has the power over death himself and he is not subject to it. And he demonstrated that ironically by dying and then being raised from the dead to prove that the grave has no power over him. This is exactly the way that the Apostle Peter puts it in Acts chapter 2 in his sermon. At Pentecost, he says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The Lord of life can't stay in the grave. As we sang a minute ago, the grave can't hold him. Too powerful. For the shadow of death to overwhelm him. The light shines in the darkness. Jesus Christ holds the keys, the way Revelation 1 puts it. You now, good for him, you might say. Ah, but it's good for us. Because he did not just overcome death by his own power for his own glory. He conquered death for us. In 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 10, we read this, speaking of the grace given to us in Christ, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is the work he was doing, not just demonstrating that he himself could not be held by the grave, but demonstrating that in him is life for all who would come. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 puts it this way. Verse 13 puts it this way. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Jesus Christ came and dealt with death. He demonstrated he had authority over it. But he also dealt with the root cause. Physical death, a manifestation of spiritual death, which is in itself caused by sin. The Lord Jesus Christ deals with it at the cross because he goes and hangs in our place there to bear our penalty to bear our sin so that not just he will stand victorious over death, but all who trust in him. The way he says again and again in the Gospels, the Gospel of John especially, chapter 5, chapter 8, chapter 11, he who hears my words and believes them will not die. And yet he died. Though he died, yet shall he live free from physical death because of the resurrection coming, but free from spiritual death because of the forgiveness of sins. That passage that I read in Ephesians chapter 2, you know how it goes on. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Made us alive together with Christ. So for we who know this risen Christ, while there is yet physical death on this side of the resurrection, we do say with the Apostle Paul, where's your sting, Death? Because the power of death is sin. And our sin has been dealt with. My point. In talking to you about these things today, is this. The world that we are living in makes it a practice of ignoring the reality of death as much as it possibly can. Our funeral homes operate in such a way so as to help us pretend that people are not really gone, they're just there. Look at the makeup they have on. Or, The world tries to belittle the reality of death and make it entertainment. Halloween and horror movies and the Day of the Dead, make it something that we can scoff at like it's just there to amuse us, which is another form of deception. Or we try to pretend like it's never going to happen. You go to Walmart, there's just aisles and aisles of anti-aging creams and things there, as if we could put it off forever. The world ignores it, and it does the very same thing with Christ. It ignores the darkness, and it ignores the light. It tries to pretend like the darkness is not there, and there is no need for the light. Friends, my encouragement to you today is not to ignore the darkness or the light. Recognize the reality of, of the world that we are living in. We do live in the shadow of death. Oh, but friends, in the same breath, recognize that there is a light that has dawned on us. There is a man who is alive at this very moment who has authority over death, who has authority over the grave, who holds the keys of death and hell in his hand. He is alive. And the Scriptures are clear that anyone who trusts in Him will be united to Him in such a way so that what is true of Him is true of us. He who died and is raised and over whom the grave has no power. won't have power over us either. Death might not seem real to you today. I think probably for a lot of people in this room it doesn't feel real. It feels more real to me than it did a week ago. Some of you, it may not feel real to you today. You know that that floor in the hospital exists, but it just feels so far away. It's real, though. And uh, we don't know when we'll be there. In the very same way, to some of you in this room, the Lord Jesus Christ might not seem real. He might seem like a figment of your imagination. He will not forever, though. You will see him with your eyes. You'll see the one who holds the keys of death and hell in his hand. We'll go before him and stand face to face with our maker And things that did not seem real to us in the moment, we will see that they are very, very real. My encouragement to you, friends, is to believe in Him now and trust in Him now. Not knowing what lies ahead, not knowing what next week or tomorrow holds. Consider the darkness and consider the light. These things have a way of sneaking up on you. I told you the course of events that led up to the hospital this last week where I was there in my mother's last days. Even though I knew it was coming, I was still surprised. And even though she knew it was coming, I don't know how prepared she was. Friends, consider these things now. Consider the darkness we live in and the light that has dawned and cling to to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Him now and trust in Him now and worship Him now. Because the light has dawned on us, we have the privilege of being able to say with the psalmist, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. The one who has conquered death, he lives. The one with the keys in his hand, he's also the one who said, come to me. If you're weary, I'll give you rest. Consider these things today. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the word that you have given us, that teaches us about the world that we live in. Oh, if it were up to us, we would deceive ourselves and think only comfortable thoughts. Thank you, Lord, for speaking the truth to us. And thank you, oh God, that the truth is not just sobering reality, but oh, there is good news. Because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Help us not to fear the age that we're living in. Help us not to fear it in such a way that we can barely bring ourselves to think about it. We We force ourselves to ignore it or to be distracted by the pleasures of the world. Help us instead, Lord, to trust in Christ. Help us to lift our eyes to Him. And, oh, help us to consider Him precious. Help us to value this life in the middle of death, this hope in the middle of darkness. Make Jesus Christ glorious to us And I'll strengthen our faith that we might cling to him. We ask these things, we pray these things in his name. Amen.